see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Holy shit, your hair is... Dude, it looks like something out of a cartoon. Your chop hop has turned into something that's totally evolved. It's, I don't know, we've, we need a new name. It's some sort of like a road, rodeo hop or something. I don't know, but well, it's swear to God, it looks like you just rolled out of bed. Like I rolled out, I rolled out, I rolled out an hour ago, but I haven't actually maintenance did at all. Um, but who should keep the hairstyle for five or seven years anyways? You should always update it, shouldn't you? <laughs> I think this is a downgrade is my point. Uh, what do you do with your hair when you wake up? Do you actually comb it? No. Exactly. Put on a hat. Oh, I don't wear hats really. But it'll sort itself out. That's the great thing. So we haven't really had any hair conversations for a long time, probably. <laughs> oh, for- God. We're going down this. This is going to be a horrible show. <laughs> Hey, look, all that I'm saying is the yes. not washing your hair thing, yeah. the ben- part of the benefit of it is I just wake up and go. It looks silly now, but honestly, give it 20 minutes. It'll fall right into place. It knows what it wants to do. It just has, you know, a little morning sickness every once in a while, and then it just right. settles right into the perfect, uh, the perfect wave. It's as if your hair needs a cup of coffee, too. Exactly. We're on tea right now, and I think it might be tepid. I don't think it's hot enough. Oh, I know that's the that's the worst. But I'll power through it. Uh, hey Scott, big news since we last saw each other. Yeah, what what's up? The election happened. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, it's still they're still counting ballots, but it's been a week of uh, pure pandemonium. I would say, electile dysfunction. We got an email from somebody in the United Kingdom, our friend Ben, and he was wasn't sure what our political leanings were, but he was congratulating the USA in general. And I said, Ben, as always, thanks for listening. Here's our spit political platform, at least Scott's. This is Scott's spit political platform. We are anti the chop hop hairdo. We are pro no shampoo for David, not for me. We are pro hooting in a vowel into a wave. We are anti more than 24 people on the WCT. And I am pro Kai Lenny. Kai Lenny is better than Sierra Kerr. Wow. That's my political platform. That's as far as it goes. So you will never get voted into office. Uh, even if it is true that Kai Lenny is better than Sierra Kerr, you shouldn't take up that, that uh, whatever, that position. That's a divisive position that you didn't need to throw yourself into. And you're basically throwing shade on a 13-year-old girl. It doesn't look well for any candidate. Well, look, you're the one. I think the last show you said Sierra Kerr is the most marketable surfer in the world. Correct. And I'm telling you that Kai Lenny is more marketable than Sierra Kerr. Well, that's different. And, and, and guess who agrees with me? Uh, ben T- in the UK. Tag Hauer, the watch company, who's sponsoring Kai to the tunes of hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions. Did you check in with them? No. Do they, they personally get back to you on that? No, I'm just guessing. How, how do you feel about expensive watches? Would you ever buy a Tag Heuer? 
we've gone this route before and we've uh, never talked about this i am watch free oh, okay why wear a watch when you have a phone i'm not into jewelry and it's all just a you know it's so funny it always comes down to me to like what's going to make my surfing life simpler and easier to access and that means no jewelry because you don't friggin' wear jewelry when you go surfing for god's sakes it's not a baseball game and a watch is a pain in the ass it gets in the way right there well, you go coming in hard with a hot take jewelry doesn't help out the baseball players either i know but they wear it um what about a tide watch though that would in theory help you I know what the tide's doing next week, right now, as we speak. Like, I don't need a friggin' tide watch. Are you kidding me? What about if you're going to a nice meal with your wife and she would like the most polished version of her husband to show off to her friends? Sadly, the most polished version comes without a watch. <laughs> Fair enough. I can appreciate it. Um, I'm not a big fan of jewelry either, so I, I'm down with it. Uh, back to Kyle Lenny, though, and Sierra Kerr. You're right. I did say Sierra is the most marketable surfer in the world. By the way, is this you show said, on you? Is this going to be on YouTube? Yeah, I hope. Yeah. Okay, because your hair is all time. I'm giving you a virtual high five right now. I'm down with this look. Like I love the rolling out of bed look. It, is, um, it fits. It I'm, frankly, it fits the background of my Zoom call. It's a little I'm, bit scattered. I'm telling you, within 20 minutes, you'll see it all laid down perfectly. You could Let's, watch it just do its thing. Maybe we should place a bet on this. Like, I don't know, like five bucks. On what? What's the bet? That your hair is laid down perfectly in 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm just telling you the way it works. I don't need to, I don't uh, okay. need to lose money to learn that. Okay, you're not backing this. I can tell. You've got, you've got some buyer's remorse here on that statement. <laughs> um, at any rate, you're right. I said Sierra Kerr was the most marketable surfer in the world. I didn't say she was the best surfer and you started no. by saying Kai Lenny surfs better than Carissa. All right. Well, All right, okay. I'm sorry then Sierra. Well, I mean, I guess you would, it, it stands to reason that, um, you know, the best surfer in the world in the eyes of the marketplace would be more marketable. It stands to reason, but that's not generally how the surf industry spends their money. Well, this isn't even the surf industry. This is, the friggin' watch industry, the jewelry industry. Well, you're just mentioning one sponsor. I mean, Sierra Kerr's sponsors are all surf industry and all of Kai's other sponsors are too. He's got Hurley and Red Bull. Yeah. Uh, exactly. But what's interesting- By the about, way, I'm not throwing shade on Sierra Kerr, yeah, you God you're, forbid. You're like that little girl, Kyle Whooper. <laughs> <laughs> that is so not true. I'm just making a statement that is against your statement. I, I believe that Kai Lenny is much more marketable at this stage. So that's what's interesting about this is if you're going to spend your money right now, you would spend it on Kai. The surf industry and other kind of like skate does it too, starts investing in kids young to lock them down, yeah. which is probably a terrible idea. I think they've wasted more money on youth marketing and or sponsorships than they have ever earned seen a return on that investment. Like even John John who pays out, he doesn't stay with O'Neill. He was with yeah. O'Neill while they were paying his mom's rent, while they were really funding all of his becoming something. And then at the moment he does, Hurley swoops him up, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a bad investment for O'Neill. 
Well, it might have been. I mean, he, you know. Well, John's and John's the only one who actually paid out. Like the yeah, vast majority exactly. of them don't. Yeah, exactly. Now, John how many, did out. How many twenty-year-olds right now in your neighborhood or in your area were sponsored heavily at thirteen, and now they're working as waiters? You know. Um, I can name I five. Know, probably quite quite a few. <laughs> We don't have a honey hole here. It's whatever. What's that place called? It Brett Sugar Shack. We, right. don't, we don't have a sugar shack. That's like a retirement home. The honey hole is a different establishment that you frequent, Scott. <laughs> that is so wrong. Um, oh, I got feed. So, how do you feel about the election? By the way, aside from our surfing, uh, your surfing I platform. Feel, I feel. I feel fine. I feel like America voted. Both sides voted for whoever they felt like was the right choice. And um, I'm good with however the, the vote came out. I'm good with it. It seems like um, democracy won, as it always does, regardless of who uh, wins the election. The people voted and their voice was heard. And this is what our constitutional democratic republic is all about. A lot of people would say that democracy did not win and that an election was stolen. Well, there's a lot of idiots, more idiots in the United <laughs> States of America than probably anywhere in the world. I mean, Dude. but I swear, I'm, if, if, any, if I've learned anything, which isn't much, it's that the baseline of uh, educated people, it's just, again, like when I li just listen to Australians or Kiwis or, or um, East Indians or like people from the UK, it's, they just seem like they're more, they're better educated. I mean, just listen to me talk. I can barely spit out a sentence. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um, it's kind of disheartening, to be honest, the more, the older I get and the more cynical I become. Um, I was listening to This American Life, which is a podcast. Yes. And this week's episode, they, inter they were kind of tracking election day. They sent a bunch of reporters out into the field and they followed various people throughout the day. And one of the people was the head of a militia group in Michigan. <laughs> oh, no. I was tripping at these people's view yeah. on things and how deluded it was. And they turned out to be really nice guys and didn't actually um, create any havoc or anything. But they literally went to polling stations with AR-15s to watch and make sure that there was nothing nefarious happening. And the reporter was with them for a week or two in advance. So they had, they were talking about all of the planning and they're like, Hey, our president said that we need to go to polling pace, places and protect democracy. So we're taking the initiative. It's not putting that um, kind of authority with police, police officers yeah. yeah, or the national guard or anything like that. It's, he just said that as a blanket statement to everybody. So these guys took it upon themselves fully armed, fully camouflaged out, and then show up at a polling place where people are just standing in line, minding their own business, like totally doing their civic duty. And those guys walk out and stand there with AR-15s. Not, they didn't accost anybody. They didn't, they talked to a few people, but, but it was always really friendly, but they just stood there with AR-15s. And I'm thinking to myself, you guys are doing exactly what you're trying to prevent from being done, which is intimidation you know, and yeah. swaying people's right to vote in one way yeah. or the other. I was honestly, my mind was blown. And they go, 
the reporter asked him, he's like, or, or I think it was a female reporter in that case. She goes, um, cause she followed up after the election and she goes, look, what are your thoughts on this? And he goes, Oh, well, clearly the election was stolen. She goes, well, what did you see on the day that you went? He goes, well, I saw nothing nefarious. She goes, okay, well, what are the bases basis of the president's claims that the election was stolen? And he goes, and he had no answer, of course, cause there wasn't yeah. any claim. And, uh, she goes, okay, well, what if it come, come to find out that the president was incorrect and that the election wasn't stolen and this was completely like an accurate tally of the American voters. And he goes, I won't believe it. There is corruption. I can't figure out where it is. I will not take that as an answer. And I just yeah. thought to myself, well, that's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. You're getting repeated resistance to your commitment to an idea. You're getting repeated fact, new facts, and you can't incorporate the new facts into your way of thinking. That is the definition of ignorance. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's even mind blowing? Do you know the other thing that's kind of funny about that is? Is, so these guys are going to a polling station, like let's say a library that has like that was built out of red brick, and they're wearing camouflage. <laughs> why do you wear? <laughs> why do you wear? If you're going to wear a camouflage, wear a red brick colored jacket. Like if you're going to try to like, you know, kind of disappear into the into the uh, background. That's hilarious. You know, don't wear camouflage to the library. Bring some books. That is so funny. Um, yeah. By the way, well, what what book are you reading right now? Um, I'm kind of I haven't really committed to it. I've been slowly going through it for the course of a month or so. But it's Jay McInerney's Bright Lights, Big City. Oh, is that a novel or nonfiction? Yeah, yeah it's a novel. Cool. Sounds interesting. Why? What are you reading? I'm reading um, two books: New Seeds of Contemplation by Thomas Merton, and still reading Sapiens. I sent and you I, and I did I did listen to that podcast. It was fascinating. I, I mean, it was literally a day after you mentioned Sapiens on air. Tim Ferriss was interviewing the author, Yuval yeah. Noah Havari, I think is his name. Yeah. So really, really, really great. I love yeah. listen I like I like hearing the voice of the guy who wrote the piece, you know, like yeah. for whatever reason it helps to sort of personalize it. Which English I think might be a second language too. You know, it's interesting. I know you listened to it, so you know this, but I'll just tell the listeners that that book is basically an amalgamation of his of his notes from his 101 class, like his intro class to World Civ. Yeah. In 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 um in Israel. Yeah. And his students kind of helped him, like they kind of helped to edit it and anyway, it's that's what I'm reading. I bring that up because I I really think it's important that we stress reading more. Um, I think it's the one thing that when we talk about the education in the United States, um, not enough people read books and there's no better way to be educated than by reading books. So when I approach somebody and we discuss perhaps uh, in, in, in a meaningful way, we discuss what's happening uh, on the political in the political arena, I, I generally ask them, what book are you reading? And then I get a gauge on if, um, you know, <laughs> their intelligence, quite frankly, I think, and I know that's a lame way to, to sort of gauge intelligence, but most smart people read books and they do it throughout their lifetime. And, and it's because it's a joy. This isn't some like, you know, dreaded 
thing that we're putting on you. It's like, it's, it's fascinating. These things, these things called books. It's, um, who is Scott Galloway interviewing who signed off with talking about that and what he oh, said. Neil Ferguson. Yeah. And what he's Scottish said, guy. That was, in, that was such a good podcast. I loved that. One. What he said was all of the important truths of the world have been figured out and not all of them, but like a number of important truths in the world have been figured out and they have been not only distilled, but then reanimated through books and metaphorically, you know, explored and all this sort of stuff. And so there's no quicker way to get to that. And look, books have been around long enough that we have a ranking of kind of which are the important ones to read. You know, you don't have to start at the bottom and figure out which are the best. Um, so I think fewer people read now to your point. I think there's more in the current generation of youth, they read less than my grandparents' generation did. And my Absolutely. parents read more than my generation did, you know? Absolutely. And so I think you're right. That would be a quick path back to success. If you're a yeah. young person and you want to succeed in the word workplace, in relationships, in life in general, that would be a really comprehensive way to do it. I, I went so far as to offer my son money. I'm like, dude, I'll give you 50 bucks for every book you read. And it's not that he doesn't want to read books. It's just that this... It's not just him, it's all of us, myself included. We get caught up in our screens, you know, and it's it's just not right. It's a anyway. distraction. I agree. It, it's all based on the screen. That is the distraction. Um, tangentially related to our uh, political conversation, would you like to revisit the Mount Rushmore of surf concept? I would, but first I got to tell everybody that the um, surfers are the worst t-shirts are available. You can buy them right now. My friend Mark Kappa, who he owns um, Stay Covered, board <laughs> bags, leashes, surf accessories, yep. wax, candles, everything. Go to staycovered.com. Staycovered.com. He's selling them through his uh, store, his online store. So staycovered.com, you can buy the Surfers are the Worst t-shirts. Go there now. Pick up a leash while you're at it. Perhaps um, a board bag or whatever. but. Again, surfers are the worst t-shirts are in, David. Are so, they the same design that you had at the boardroom show? Same exact design, different okay. color. They're, okay. they're, they're like a flat gray instead of a navy blue. Got it. Sweet. Yeah. Um, all right, Mount Rushmore of surfing. You presented this topic kind of on the fly last week. Yes. And I got some feedback from people. All right. All right. Hunters. Wait, hold on. Yeah. Set up this thing, right? Foreheads. The, the Hall of Fame of the Hall of Fame of surfing, the Mount Rushmore, we need four iconic figures that we will look to as um, sort of our guardians of the culture. And we were struggling last week because it's hard to figure out four. Exactly. We could figure out the important people, but narrowing it down to four feels like you're automatically going to eliminate somebody who deserves a spot. Well, I think it, I think you, we have to eliminate the concept of they've just got it. If it can't just be hot surfing, I think it has to be Agreed. more than just hot surfing. Agreed. Okay. So Hunter said, I try to figure out four individuals who kind of give us everything. Founding fathers and brat, uh, gap bridgers. Duke Kahanamoku. Duke is our figurehead, an ambassador to the world, a waterman in the truest sense, a brilliant athlete, and most importantly, a noble and direct link between 
the ancient sport of island royalty to modern surfing. Yada, yada, we can all hang our hats on Duke. Okay, hold on. I agree with that. And, and just let me add to that. Perhaps the most important thing is that he's the ambassador of aloha, which is, which is love, right? Which is aloha. The ha part is actually the breath of life that you're presenting to your neighbor in a spirit of camaraderie and goodwill. So the ambassador of aloha, I mean, so that sets up everything else in surfing, right? Like mm. bring love to the equation. You're not allowed to do the ha in the time of coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's so true. Just go hello. I think there's a hand Aloha. gesture. There's some sort of hand gesture that you can. Would you like to show us your, la- your uh, hula talents as well? Yeah, you just saw him, baby. That oh, okay. was it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Bruce Brown, the guy who started, oh, I'm sorry, the guy who shared it with the world. Also, uh, if we sort of want to have Hobie or Phil Edwards up there, Bruce kind of shared that same era and style, uh, and he shared them through his films. That's a pretty good one that I hadn't thought of. I, I, I'm having a hard time not agreeing with that. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that one either. And I mean, the more I think about it, we kind of need different genres up there. And so having somebody that represents film is probably a wise decision. And if you were, Bruce Brown would be the guy. See, I don't think that that we can, I think if you only represent one thing that you in fact shouldn't be up there. Like, I think you need to have such a wide, um, you know, a, a wide net of influence that it can't just be, oh, we got to have a film guy, you know? Can I offer an alternative to John Severson off my own list? I'm sorry, to Bruce Brown off my own list. John Severson? <laughs> it's John Severson. <laughs> because, so... Film is just one part of media. Severson covered a lot of media through what he did, and he's a great surfer and all that sort of stuff. So he might replace Bruce Brown. I think so. I think I'm going to lean that way. Okay. So we got Duke and we got Severson so far then. All right, number three from Hunter said, Dale Velzi, our scallywag big brother, uncle, dad, hero, the best example and archetype of the lovable surf bum scamp a better, less inflammatory example than, say, Mickey Dora. Plenty of influence and contributions besides his style. With his shaping proteges and his fins shapes, Dale is who I think of, uh, who I think we all kind of want to be in many ways. The sandy, salt-crusted, handsome, cool guy who's building his life on his terms and around riding waves. Cheesy, yes. True, also yes. Yeah, that's a really good one. I'm, I'm again. I'm having a hard time. The only I would suggest I, as soon as you said Dale, I was like, okay, well, who's Dale's hero? And Dale's hero is probably Bob Simmons. I know that he took a lot of influence from Simmons. And the reason that Simmons isn't as widely known in the culture is simply a matter of timing, right? He wasn't around during, you know, when we had a lot of like the boom in surfing that Dale got to kind of capitalize on. Um, but I agree. I think Dale Velzi is a good one. I, I, I can't argue with Dale Velzi at all. I've, I'm wondering if Dale Velzi's legacy is quite as long for like our youth. They might know the name Velzi, certainly because of V-Land, but I don't know that they know who he really was. Well, I agree with that. And I, for some reason, I feel like that might not be the one. I, 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 you know, I don't know. Maybe he... He, I mean, the guy who sent the email, Hunter, he made a really good case for Dale. 
Like, and I, and I agree with all of it. So let's, there's kind of a question mark around Dale for me, but um, only because I keep going back to Bob Simmons. I'm like, if we're going to, if we're going to, you know, I mean, Bob Simmons uh, did some pretty crazy stuff, you know, sandwich, wise. sandwich construction boards. Yeah. But he didn't, he doesn't have a, a deep and rich. I mean, he died young. I think he was like 32 or something when he died. 35. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Bob Simmons has a design legacy, but I think to Hunter's point, um, Velzi embodies a character and an archetype. Yeah. More than that's just true. A and Velzi was, is, is sort of, um, he's known as the first guy to, to open a surf shop, like to have a surf shop. And even though it was maybe underneath a pier for one year, <laughs> Which even makes it greater. The first surf shop was underneath the Manhattan Pier or whatever, Hermosa Pier or whichever pier it was there in the South Bay. But you might yeah, have, I, I like that one. You might have heard this story before. Um, Rich Harbor told this to me that when Rich, they were kind of coming up at the same time, and Rich's business, you know, 20 miles south of Dale's was in Seal Beach. And Rich was getting very, very busy and he needed somebody to help him shape surfboards. And obviously at that time there weren't any surfboard shapers. There was very few. So he calls Dale and he's like, Hey man, I need some help. You know, I got to get 30 boards done this week or something like that. So Dale comes down and he goes, yeah, no problem. So he takes, takes a bunch of blanks, goes back home, comes back, delivers them. And they're awesome. They're shaped not only really well, but to Rich's specifications. And Rich is like, this is amazing. I have 50 orders this week. I need even more help. Can you help with that? He goes, yeah. Takes all the blanks, goes back home. And, Dale, and Rich kind of stops watching the quality control so much. And after a couple of weeks, he starts looking at the boards and he's like, oh my God, these things are terrible. They're misshapen. They're asymmetrical. They are just hacked. Yeah. So he drives up to go talk to Dale. Dale has a, sur a shaping school set up. <laughs> So Dale, part of his business, in addition to building boards and his surf shop, was he opened a shaping school and he was taking Rich's orders that Rich was paying Dale for. And then he was taking money from a student who was paying like 20 bucks per board to learn how to shape or whatever, or probably less than that. So he was getting paid <laughs> on both ends and then just taking back the amateurs, probably the very first board that this student had ever shaped and taking it back to Rich and collecting payment from Rich. Okay, Dale is now on the Mount Rushmore. That's the greatest story ever. That's so. That's such a Dale Velzi. I mean, there's a million stories like that about Dale Velzi. So, I'm. I love that story, and I, I love what's behind it, which is this sort of, like you said, scallywag. Yeah, kind of know, a pirate and a yeah. I wasn't around obviously for Velzi, um, so I'm. Oh sure my God, I've got a funny story for Dale Velzi. So we're at Surfer Magazine. And, um, you know, I'm, work, work, I'm at work, I'm in my office and, and my office was situated. So I was right next to the lobby. Like okay. I, you walked through the lobby to my office door and in, and so, and I can, I have a big, large pane window and I can see everyone coming in, you know, so I see people parking my whole time. I'm seeing who's coming and going and I see Dale Velzi pull up and he brings out this like hideous shortboard, like this thing that's got no nose the widest tail ever. And it's got like, you know, some crazy fin con, you know, configuration. And he walks through and he's like, hi, you know, he, he greets Ruth, the um, receptionist. He's like, hi, I'd like to speak to Evan. You know, and he's talking about Evan Slater, right? And, 
And Ruth's like, Evan Slater, Dale Velzi's here. And, and I, know, I know Evan's just rolling his eyes going, oh, no, man, I got to go deal with this. You know, Evan's busy. He's in there trying to figure out how to. And so Evan walks out, and, and I get to hear the conversation that goes down, you know. And, and Dale's like, look what I've made. I've made this great new shortboard. This is going to be the hottest thing ever. You know, he's this the full salesman, just wheeling and dealing, you know. And Evan, bless his heart, out of respect for Dale Velzi, he's like, yeah, okay, cool. You know, like, you know what? How's it go? You know, like, and Dale's like, well, I put this bevel here. He's got bevels and friggin' crazy. It's just, it looks like something somebody from his surf school would have perhaps. Yeah, had. totally. And anyway, it's just, you know, and, and eventually Evan's got to go, okay, you know what? You know, like Dale's like, look, I'd like you to give it a try and maybe write something about it for the magazine, you know? And, and poor Evan's like, okay, you know what? Well, you know, sure. Leave it here and I'll wax it up and try it. You know? And of course Dale leaves and, Evan's just like, oh my God, I gotta deal with this board. And by the way, that's the nature of surfing magazines in general back in the day. People would just walk in, demand to see Evan or Steve Hawk or whoever it was, and get past the gatekeeper. A lot of times they would just plow right through the gatekeeper because yeah. they didn't even understand that Ruth was a gatekeeper. They just would walk through and just interrupt the daily business that was going on, you know. And I'm telling you, like, crazy stuff went down where it's like, oh, no, somebody's here and they're pissed. You know, like, we right. had to get restraining orders against people. It was crazy. But anyway, um, that's my Dale Velsey story. I wonder if he, if Dale ever even followed up with that board. Dale seems like the kind of guy who would drop that off and then bail and kind of, like, get distracted by a million other things and never even come back. Yeah, I kind of don't know the, the end of that whole thing. But I remember looking at the board and I remember Evan going, oh, my God, this thing's the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen in my life. And it right. was. Yeah. It was just nonsensical. Right. And Dale probably never wrote a shortboard in his life. So. No. Exactly. Um, so, again, I wasn't around for Velzi, but and I'm sure that he has people who are uh, very disgruntled about business dealings with him or whatever. But he strikes me as the kind of guy that kind of gets away with it. You know, like, yeah. you, you, I don't know, on Seinfeld, Kramer could say the most wacky things and everybody laughs. But if Jerry were to say it, people would get offended, you know? Yeah. It's kind He's, of that. Well, there's a great book, right, that Spencer Crowell put out. And I think it's called Velzius Hawk. Yep. Hawk was his nickname. And that book goes into great detail about who the character of Dale Velzi is. And I think it's a great read. I think people should should get this book it's kind of a coffee table book yeah but it'll give you great insight into um dale velzi and it's definitely one that people should have it's it's a fun thing to have you know it's a fun book to have so what's funny is he was the one on mount rushmore that you and i kind of put on the side and yet we've spent more time talking about him yeah well you know what i think he's right up there so we got yeah. severson velzi we only have one more spot. Oh my God, this is going to be hard. Do you want to try to guess who Hunter would have said? Um, well, I mean, I don't know who Hunter would have said, but I know who I would put there, but go ahead. Um, uh, I'm going to say Jerry. Okay. Nope. Hunter said George Greeno. Oh. Our unassuming mastermind Jedi guru figure. If we want that, quote, first modern surfer, to be Nat or McTavish, the um, those, guy, those guys kind of owe it to Greeno. That's a so great at, pick. As you all know, his board, fin designs, 
mind-blowing turns on his knees, et cetera, are arguably the reason the Australians and everyone else started surfing vertically and started the shortboard revolution. I feel like with Greeno on the mountain, we also get Nat, Bob, Skip Fry's eggs onto yeah. Curran, Slater, and Florence. Yeah, that's a great pick. The, the one problem I have with our Mount Rushmore, I don't really have a problem with it. It's a great, you know, allotment. There's no Australians. And I think our Australian friends would be a little bit bummed. Do they, is there an Australian that, that takes the spot of one of these guys? And, oh, by the way, George is more or less Australian, even though he's not. But they kind of own him as their own. And so maybe George fits that bill. I think, look, the surf world in Australia was uh, culturally it was behind us, and it, but and it was substantial, but it was kind of isolated, and so all of kind of the international mm. influence I think started kind of with Surfer Magazine, right? Well, I'm, I I would suggest that, yeah, perhaps I'm sure that tracks started up, and I don't know, I want to say probably. 65 or something like that i don't even know well, i surf, should know surfing world is the oldest magazine now oh okay perfect continuously running okay yeah but i mean which was the first one you know i think but, they they were okay they're 60 years old now okay so we have duke velzy um, severson yep and greeno those are pretty solid i'd like to hear um, some of the listeners try to try to discount those four. If anything, look, it's easy to fill other options in here, but if you're going to discount one of these four, who are you going to put in their place? And I don't know. That's a really solid grouping. Hunter gave some good thought to this. I've got a um, answer to your non-Australians or non-diverse concern about Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Is if we're using Mount Rushmore as the example. Yeah, all white awesome. dudes. It's all middle, <laughs> middle or middle to older age, rich white dudes. That's true. And I don't know, Duke, Duke would probably uh, roll over in his grave if I was calling him an American as opposed to Hawaiian. So he's the one outlier there, but still. He's definitely Hawaiian. And obviously, um, you know, the, the color of his skin is darker than ours. It so, is. I, I mean, and Duke to me is the one where you just automatically go, boom. Like, that's yeah, the course. one that's a no-brainer. That's the no-brainer. But these other ones are no-brainers. Yeah. I mean, the, especially when Hunter explained it. I can't really, you know, it's those are really, really, really good ones. And you know what else is cool about them? Well, except for Velzy, the other ones are were pretty, had a sense of um, humility about them. Mm. And, you know, the other ones might, Go, nah, that probably, I probably shouldn't be on it. Whereas Velzy would be like, not only am I going to be on it, I'm going to sell, I'm going to sell space on my portion. <laughs> He'll have like sponsors plastered across his forehead. Yeah. He'll be selling merch out in the parking lot. I think what he would sell is like, he'll give you the ability to chisel his face for a certain fee. <laughs> right. um, all right. Well, how's the hair looking, by the way? Kind of flattened out a little oh, bit. Well, you, wait a minute. You've touched it with your hands, which means you flattened it. Yeah, I didn't introduce a brush into this, though. It's just... Your hands are kind of like brushes. Kind of. There goes a the little brush move. I just saw it. it looks. Now, it's settled now, down, though, to my point. It's, it's settled it, did down. Settle, it did settle yeah. down a little bit. 
gravity does its job. Uh, all right, well, what's next? What do you got? Still a hodgepodge. Um, let's see, what do I have? Oh. I've got more stuff. if you don't. I've got some stuff here. Um, I found this kind of interesting. I found this, um, bear with me here. A man was arrested and charged with arson in the fire that destroyed Derek Hines' house last week. Uh, well, the, the fire was last year, but this man was arrested last week. Officers in the Byron Bay Police Station went to the home of a guy in Molumbimbi, where they arrested a 25-year-old man. man was charged following a year-long investigation into the fire that destroyed Derek Hines' house. Um, Last September of 19, fire brigades brigades were called to Hines' house that he shared with his son, Lachlan. Lakeland? Lachlan. Lakeland, maybe. The fire raised the house. Though Hines and his son were spared, a dog perished in the blaze. Also lost were Derek Hines' lifelong collection of writing, memorabilia, and surf craft, which, considering his role in the surf world, constitutes an enormous loss. Derek, he took to Facebook to vent his feelings after the arrest. And this is Derek Hines' words. Just heard on the ABC News statewide around Australia that the, quote, piece of work, end quote, who destroyed my house by fire, almost killed my son, killed a loyal pet, then acted as if it was none of his doing for a year, has been arrested. Thank you to the boys at the Byron Cop Shop and those in Sydney for follow-up work and taking due methodical time to get the crime sorted to this stage. Some arsonists get done after a day, others after a year. And why did it happen, question mark? An incredible, trivial issue. Life, huh? From little things, big things grow, negative as well as positive, end quote. So that was Derek Hind writing. And by the way, this entire piece I got from Stu Nettle, my friend over at the SwellNet uh, website, SwellNet Dispatch. So uh, I was reading directly from Stu's um, article. Thoughts, Crazy. David? I mean, obviously, I love Derek Hind. And that is, uh, and that fire was so tragic, but I had no idea that there was any nefarious activity involved at all. I just thought it was like some random electrical fire or whatever. So I'm kind of shocked to hear that. Is there any indicator as to why the kids started it? Well, the one indicator from some of the commentary is these last two sentences by Derek Hind himself, when he says it was an incredibly trivial issue that caused Crazy. the angst and resentment. Crazy. So, and of course, Derek, you know, he, He's, he's opinionated in a good way, in my opinion, you know, <laughs> he's a, you know, look, he, you know. He's ruffled um, feathers, but. Yeah, but I mean, I, he always does it in a creative way, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no and, he's, and he usually has some genuine, you know, backing and intelligence behind it. I don't know what, why this guy set Derek Hines' house on fire, but. Well, it's a 25, it's a 25 year old kid. And I remember somebody saying years ago, but it wrong is very true to me is that if you just locked up all males between the age of 18 and 25 crime would go down to you know one percent essentially yeah. like it is 25 to i'm sorry 18 to 25 year old males 
whose frontal lobe in their brain isn't fully developed, who don't understand consequence, who just want to go out and get in scrapes when they go out. And, and I, I think about, I would argue alcohol too. If you could eliminate sure. alcohol from that equation, I mean, the alcohol in 25 and under males is like 99% of crime. For sure. Um, God, I'm trying to think what we were doing the other day. I think we're at the dog beach or something. And we saw some kids, young teenagers, just like um, they were doing something to a sign. They were defacing a sign. And we're like, God, what? Like, that's destructive. Why would you do that? And our brains couldn't wrap around why you would just do something for the sake of being destructive. And then I had to fess up like, oh my God, when I was in high school, we would just break a window for the heck of it for no reason whatsoever because we wanted to hear the sound of glass breaking. Like, and somebody, you know, had to deal with that later and the expense of it. And so, yeah, I could see this is a 25 year old. And yes, Derek's probably right that it was very trivial. But when you're 25, you're a dumbass and you just do stupid things. And the fact that a dog, I mean, thankfully, Derek and his son got out alive, but they lost a dog. Like, that's I know. insane. I know. that. that that's an that, innocent bystander. That touches you and I and all dog owners. Here's a loyal pet. Yeah. That's sad. Totally. And, and all of the stuff that, as Stu wrote, you know, all of that stuff the memorabilia, the writings, the surf craft. But I guess, you know, I mean, in sort of a Buddhist way, you know, are these things, you know, are they creating happiness? We don't know. I'm sure they have a lot of meaning to Derek. I interviewed a couple of months ago, Mark McGinnis. He's a surf photographer based out of Oregon. And he lost his house in those Oregon fires that were happening just a couple of months ago. And so we had all these conversations about that Buddhist outlook, you know, I mean, after the initial devastation and sadness and all of that, is there any silver lining of a recognition that, oh my God, I was, I had anxiety from managing all of these things. And I can now have the next 20 or 30 years of my life with this perspective that I actually don't need everything I thought that I needed for so long. Yeah. You know, I was, I was reading that book Sapiens the other night. And I was in that a section of it about world religions and he was talking about Buddhism and basically, you know, this idea that if you can just sit in your suffering um, and, and just acknowledge it and not try to get out of it, this idea that we crave to constantly get out of situations instead of just sitting in it. Right. It was fascinating to me, you know, that that's what, true enlightenment is is the ability to kind of sit in your suffering and not be like oh my god how do i get out of this which is you've just created a desire to um you know to have something that you're not going to get you know yeah that is interesting i mean ultimately the buddhist way of looking at it acknowledges you're never going to be able to avoid all suffering if if we are trying to avoid it at every cost and then you feel it and you try to get away from it and all that, it's almost a fruitless, a futile well, effort. Like, like right now, like the sun's about to shine in my eyes and I'm like, oh my God, there's a little bit, I don't even know, acknowledge it, but there's some anxiety that I need to get that out of my yeah. eyes. I need to go right. do something for that. And there's constantly these, it's it's like constantly, I'm just like dodging, ang- like dodging situations that are conjuring up in my head about how it's going to make me feel better instead of just going, yeah, the sun's in my eyes, you know? 
Feel the warmth. Embrace the vitamin D. Yeah, be in the now. Exactly. Uh, Well, did you see that stab in the dark? Hold on, let me change the suns in my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, speaking of sun, stab in the dark. I didn't uh, see any of this. Oh my gosh, they dropped a new... They dropped a new trailer, and uh, guess who the surfer is? Okay, it's Stab in the Dark, so it's the high-performance one, right? Yep. The surfer is um, Kai Lenny. Taj Burrow. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yep, really. Um, it's funny your, that you what are react- your thoughts? What's your thoughts on that? My thought is I'm thrilled to see Taj again. Like oh. I forgot about Taj when <laughs> exactly. I, when I saw it, I thought, Oh, this might be the best one ever. And there's a couple of clips of him surfing. He's still surfing. Amazing. Of oh, course. Of course. Of course. Yeah, I think, and he's funny, you know, like I think this could be a really good addition of it. Good. I, I hope it is. I hope it is. Yeah. Who would you have picked? Kelly. Kelly would be the ultimate. Yeah. Kelly would be good. Kelly knows more about board design and he has the ability to articulate it better than anybody. I agree. Do you think that'll happen? So it'll probably happen when Kelly's not on his, like it'll happen when he's like 53 or something like that. Uh, he's like my age. So be like, we finally got Kelly to do stab in the dark. Um, interestingly, I told you I was going to talk to Blake from Panda. Yeah. I did talk to him and he actually submitted a board for that stab in the dark. And he goes, they gave Blake the surfers height, weight, and I think maybe even stance. Yeah. And based on that information, it was a diminutive person. And so Blake thought, Oh, it's Kelly. And Blake talked to a couple of the other shapers and they all thought, Oh, it's Kelly. So he built a board for who he thought was Kelly. And they they might have even said that uh, he's going to be surfing like smaller waves on it. So that's what Blake built. And then come to find out, it's not. It's for Taj and he's going to be surfing in West Oz. So he thinks, and some of the other shapers involved think that the initial surfer actually backed out and they had to pick a secondary surfer. And even in the even in the trailer, when Taj is picking up the boards, he goes, oh man, these boards are all so small. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So based on that theory, and it, let's say it's not Kelly, because I, think, I don't think Kelly would do it. Who do you think it would have been? Let's take Kelly out of the equation. Who's Kelly sized? Felipe, maybe? That's what I'm, yeah, that's, see, that's where I'm going. Like, Felipe, there's actually a lot of surfers that are, what, 5'9", a buck 45? Yeah, who? Adriano? No, he's like a buck eighty. <laughs> and he's not and he's and he's five four, probably. I mean now, now that he's retired, he's a buck eighty. Um no, I'm just kidding. Adriano, I'm just kidding. Just having fun, bro. I mean maybe Josh Kerr. Josh? Could have been Josh. Josh now is that, that I think size. There's a lot, you'd be surprised. Most of these pros are small. Yeah. Anyway. Um but who's at that? I tell level? you, Taj is a surprise to me, and in, in, in a way, as I sit and think about it, he's a pleasant surprise. At first, I was like, "Really?" Uh, he's way off the radar, which is why I like it. To me, he's off the radar, which is why I'm, I like it. I think the bigger and issue. And he's smart. He's a smart guy. 
he'll I think he'll do a good job, I hope, of conveying, you know, his thoughts and feelings regarding these boards. We'll see. I think it's the bigger issue is having the shapers build the boards for a smaller surfer in smaller waves and then having Taj go ride them in West Oz. Anyway, like that's a totally different board. That's fine. Whatever. I, think? I mean, yeah. Like, dude, the guy's a professional surfer. Give him some boards. Let's see how they go. You know, like, I mean, that's kind of nitpicking, I think. I don't. Like, I think how, look, so the, whole what, point, like, the whole point of this thing is to nitpick. Well. You're giving him 10 boards and you're telling him to nitpick the differences. Yeah, might but, give which him is boards. fine. I mean, you're just assuming that he's going to be surfing eight foot North Point or something. Like He did. He, <laughs> did he? Yeah. Well, then let's find out which board was best, damn it. Yeah. I mean, what better place to, to get a good feel for a board? Exactly. You know? Even if it's two inches too small. If they're all too small, they're all too small. Yeah. You go, look, they're all too small, but of the, all the boards that were too small, this one was the best of all the boards that were too small. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it nevertheless because I am too. I like that franchise and I like, uh, I like Taj and we don't get to see enough Taj. So it's funny. I was talking to a guy, um, a guy who works in the industry and we're talking about editorial and content. And we were talking about how like, it's just, it's expensive to create content, you know? And he goes, well, God, how does stab do it? And this guy's in the um, editorial space, so to speak. He's like, how do you think Stab does it? I'm like, you know what? Like, it's not that expensive to be, like if you're Sam, the guy who owns Stab, you just go, you call up like Ashton and you're like, dude, we're not gonna be able to pay you very much, but there's a major ego play here. You get to hang out with all the best surfers in the world. You get to create super cool stuff. We're gonna give you a lot of rope. You can go crazy. We're just not gonna pay you that much, but we're gonna send you around the world. And that's kind of how they, pencil it out on a spreadsheet you know like I, I don't think they get these guys that create this stuff there's not a lot of money to the, to the edit guy you know it's no. just there's a lot of upside travel and and interaction and connections and networking that you get to do but you'll have forever yeah stab anyway. specifically runs a pretty lean crew oh yeah there's like five guys basically on staff yeah so um and Look, I think they have most of Vans's surf budget, right? And Monster, they get, they have a big deal with Monster. They're always doing Monster stuff. So a couple of those big marketing spends will get you through the year. Yeah. Nobody's going to get rich doing it, but yeah. Um, any updates from the WSL, Scott? Yes. We're looking at, we're looking at the Holy Pipe Master supposed to start this month. It's funny that you say that. I do have that written down here. Um, let me find these dates. I think November 13th is when the Triple Crown starts. So that's in a week from today, right? Or less. Like, it's three days from now. Thank you. Three Today's days November from 10th. Now. The days are getting shorter. The weeks are getting longer. Vans Triple Crown, I have November 13th. So is that going to start? I doubt it very greatly. Is that a phrase? Is that a sentence? It is. I, I would just like to have an update. Have you heard a word from the WSL? I went to their website. It just says that it's tentative. And it, look, it's not going to happen. It's definitely it, not going to happen. I mean, the, the coronavirus, it's on the rise. Like we've had more cases than we've ever had since it started. Um, November 25th is another tentative date for the women's ha Roxy Honolulu Bay Mau Maui Pro. November 25th. 
that's the next event that I saw. Like it said November 13th, Vans Triple Crown, but I didn't see, and I might've bypassed it on accident, but I didn't see like Holly Eva Pro starts or anything like that. Like doesn't a Holly Eva Pro on, start on November 13th that the Vans Triple Crown starts on November 13th? Yep. Answer is yes. Now the big one is, will the Pipe Masters happen December 8th? Will the Billabong Pipe Masters happen December 8th? And I don't know. Are surfers allowed to travel? They are allowed to travel to Hawaii, but it's so fluid. I mean, that could change with the way the pandemic's blowing up right now. It absolutely could change. And it's not just a one-off event. I mean, that is the kickoff. Let's remind everybody, the new tour schedule is where it ended last year is where it starts this year. So that Maui event is the first event for the women's and the uh, pipe masters is going to be the first event for the men's. So if we don't kick off the first event, then we have another completely abbreviated season for 2021, which yeah. is all but likely as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I, it's going to be interesting. My dog's here, Maverick. I'm oh. trying to get him out of my way here, but I just don't, I don't understand why we don't have updates. Yeah, that's problematic, right? Um, I think the last thing Dave Prodan had Pat O'Connell on his podcast, and there wasn't much there except, you know, optimism from them, which makes sense. They're just trying to, you know, get everybody to hang tight and don't worry, we're working. They are working their asses off. I, by the way, the Taylor Knox podcast is going to be coming everyone's way here soon. I got to send it over to you. But he was speaking about how intent, incredibly difficult it must be for Pat O'Connell to be in the spot that he's in right now. Probably the worst job in the surf industry right now is to be the commissioner of the WSL, you know, and I know Pat's working hard because he's a good guy. Um, but it's, it's, well, it's what work is there no, to be? No win. Let's be honest. What well, work is there to be? I agree with everything. Well, that you're I don't saying. know working hard, but maybe the, I mean, he's dealing with the anxiety. Exactly. Of, you and yeah. me going, what's going on, bro? You guys are lame, blah, blah, Look, blah. You know, it's like, I'm, not, I'm not diminishing those Pat or anybody else's at the WSL's workload. I know they are working hard. My point is that how much work can you do when all of the pieces are moving and you don't know? Yeah, if you had a date, November, December 8th, and you knew that you were going to run, then you work towards that. But if you're, you don't want to do so much work and invest in – hiring and buying all the stuff and then have the event not go. So By it's like way, watching what you're, you'd be a better antagonist than moderator. I'll just leave it right there. Okay. <laughs> uh, that works. Um, but with the, the election yeah, for three or four days, we're watching the news. There's nothing to report on. You know what I mean? Like they, they were on air 24 hours a day for four days straight like moving, like going to the screen and like cutting. We need, one, we need one of those guys. We need yeah. like a Steve Karnacki guy for the WSL, just like going up to the to the calendar yeah. and going, okay, so if this happens here, then we're going to go from November 13th to November 25th. And you, <laughs> we need one of those guys. Totally. That's what they did. And it was mind blowing because it actually engaged me for a lot of it. And then I realized, oh my gosh, there's no story developing. It's the slowest developing story of all time. And that's kind of what the WSL is faced with. There's really nothing to report on. But Well, here's something to report on. Yeah. Nazare was closed due right. to the pandemic because of the double XL event. Is that what they call that thing? Yeah. The, the double XL. They did not do an event. It was just a free surf. 
Right. So, but far, so let me just read this real quick, if you don't mind. This could be a good time for WSL News. Following large crowds descending upon the cliff at Nazare, who came to watch the premier XXL hellscape of Nazare during last week's historic swell, health officials in Portugal have issued a free surfing and toe surfing ban at the spot, citing COVID-19 health concerns. David, your thoughts? I don't understand why they don't just prevent people from standing on the cliff. Why do they have to ban the surfing? I think that's what the surfers are saying too. In fact, I know that's what the surfers are saying. They're like, look, just get a gatekeeper at the yeah. friggin'. There's like one road in and one road out, you know? Exactly. Like, it's Europe. Like, it's not like, you know, it's Orange, so dumb. Orange County where there's a bunch of drive arounds. It's so dumb. <laughs> uh, and the idea that you either have to put the gate down at the harbor, you still have a gate either way. So you either put it at the harbor or you put it up on the cliff. Just put it up on the cliff. Prevent the surfers from, or the spectators from going. Yeah. Um, I watched all that footage. I think that had happened. That big swell happened a day before we recorded last time, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I watched a bunch of the after, the footage that came out after the fact, Nick Von Rupp's uh, vlog, YouTube vlog. Oh, we, we spoke about this last week. We spoke about yeah. yeah, the the imagery of the people on the cliff is crazy. I mean, it is packed. There was yeah. more people at that event than I've ever seen at, at Nazare before. Yeah. Not just at the lighthouse, but like going back for, you know. Long ways, yeah. Acres and acres. <clears throat> yeah, it's it was definitely a super spreader event. You know? Yep. Yep. Everybody's having them. Yep. <laughs> All the rage. Um, by the way, we got word last night. Need essentials. Prima loft jacket. The jacket, oh, yeah. the jacket that you and I wear all the time. I honestly have had mine for three years. I think for the last two Christmases, I've gifted five of them to people uh, each Christmas. It's on sale right now. Uh, Rob from Need Essentials in there's Need Essentials Australia. There's Need Essentials America. So Rob runs the American division. He's actually moving warehouses right now and he has extra inventory of the prima loft jacket so listeners if you've been eyeing that jacket and you want to grab it it's 30 percent off on meatessentials.com the promo code is spit okay that's epic so i was just up at lamore in fresno where it was butt ass cold and i was so stoked to have my need essentials prima loft super warm ridiculously warm awesome awesome warmth. And that's what it's all about for me is staying warm. And um, I mean, it's the thing that's cool about it is all I have to do is wear a t-shirt underneath my Prima loft and I'm so toasty Yeah, and it's got a cool little hood. You can zip tie. This is the and, non, this is the non hooded one. This oh, is it the is thinner, oh. the thinner one. Oh, um, but I wear that thing all the time. And I, yeah, you can actually layer it with the down one that has the hood. Oh, I've got the down one. I apologize. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, promo code SPIT, 30% off, smoking deal. It's already less expensive. It's so lightweight, too. You could pack it. You could, like, make it into a ball this size and throw it in your backpack when you're traveling right, and stuff. Right, So go grab that deal. Okay. Um, and all the, honestly, consider it for gifting. That's what I've done the last couple of years. It's a great gift. Everybody loves one. 
By the way, we raised two hundred and six thousand dollars at the Surfade Cup up at believe, Kelly Slater's Surf Ranch. I can't believe I forgot to ask you about that at the top of the show. Um, what the heck, man? How was it? Did you get barreled? I did. I got oh. a, I got sick barrel, and of course, there's footage and all of that. And I got a. You know what? I need to shout out. I don't know the driver's name of the ski, but. I set up for the right-hand barrel. And last time when you and I surfed there, what was that, like three or four years ago? Yeah. I didn't make it out of the right-hand barrel at the end section. I made the top section oh, okay. barrel, but I didn't make it out of the and, – and I was kind of dumbfounded because I tried twice. And um, I was like, how, does, how do people make this thing? You know, like it's, and I've realized that I'm just such a heavy back-footed surfer that I, that I rarely push forward on my front foot. And I – I kid you not, when I was in the tube on this wave the other night, the ski driver was like, front foot, front foot, front foot, like screaming at me. And I actually listened to him and I pushed down on my front foot and drove through the barrel to a glorious exit. And a claim that probably rivals some of the best Brazilian claims. And um, I was stoked and it's all on footage. So I got a deep, deep drainer. I rode one of the firewire boards that was up there. I think the sci-fi um, is the one I rode, which is the one I rode when you were there too. Um, but anyway, it was That's epic. amazing. But the cool thing is, is that the people that, that raised money for SurfAid, all the, um, the people that were a part of the SurfAid Cup, they, they reached out to their network and brought in $206,000 so that we can continue our programs at SurfAid USA Crazy. and SurfAid International. So super stoked on everyone being involved. And I met a bunch of new people, a bunch of new friends, um, and, and it was great. That is amazing. Uh, the idea that you can refine your surfing prowess at that pool. I mean, that's the idea with the pool, right? Is right. that in the ocean, it would take you years to get that same wave again, where you fall in the barrel and you go, oh, what I should have done is X, Y, or Z. I'll do it on the next wave in order for you to get that next wave. Sometimes it's years in between. So the idea that you could go out there and actually have a coach telling you what to do while you're in the barrel is really amazing. <laughs> well, the amazing thing is I listened to the guy. I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> I actually to have the wherewithal. Ears. Yeah. And, and I told him as soon as I kicked out, I go, dude, you made that happen. Like I, I was not going there with my front foot. He's like, I know everybody does that. We're all so back foot oriented or a lot of us are. At least I definitely am. Yeah. You know, like when I set up for a tube at home, I'm leaning back. I'm putting my arm in the thing. I'm back here stalling for it, hoping that it actually throws over me. Right. And as you know, that end section at Lamore on the right, it's almost sort of like unorganic the way it, yeah. it, it almost like hits a long sandbar. Like it goes flat and then it hits this thing and, and it heaves over with so much speed that you've got to be on your horse and whipping the thing to get through it. And anyway, shout out to him for, I wish I knew his name, but um, a lot of fun. So where is the footage? I got to go. I don't know. I need to hunt it down. I, you know, I'm, I'm on the board of directors there, so it's not really um, my place to be, um, you know, getting out of the water and going, let me see it. Like I haven't even seen the footage, you know, I just know it exists because I, I don't want to be that guy that's, that, you know, there's other people that worked hard, raised money that deserve to see their footage before me. That's fine. But listeners want to see it do it for the I'm listeners hunt, i will hunt it down i think these guys are editing all the footage oh, and okay. it might just be a still image the guy the still photographer showed it to me on the skis like look i nailed it 
And, you know, it's just me with my arms sticking out of the tube. It's just one of – every wave looks the same there. So it's, Totally. It might not even be me for all I know. <laughs> Find that footage. All right. Um, all right. Well, do you have must-see moment, Duke Kook? Um, you know, I don't. Um, I've got one for you. Okay. My must-see moment is Egg Salad by Log Wrap. Did you watch this egg video? No. Um. Log Rap put together a little edit. It's like three and a half minute edit of Devin Howard, Cliff Capono, uh, Tanner Godowskis, all riding that Channel Islands mid-length. The Channel yes. Islands, the CI mid is what I think it's actually called. And um, it's fantastic. I mean, it's like, dude, you, you will want to go buy a mid-length if you watch that video. I think they all are riding the exact same board, which is the yeah. CI version. But you watch it and you just go, dude, that suits all of my needs, whether it's Devin surfing lowers or Cliff Capono surfing Honolulu Bay. Like the board has so much hold, so much drive off the bottom in the barrel, everywhere you go on the thing, it's all one fluid line of energy that you just have to lean into. You know, the board looks so sick. Yeah. So egg salad by log wrap. Yeah. I'm a big fan of all those guys and mid length. I mean, I learned on a mid-length, so I've been riding 610 since, you know, 78, so whatever. What kind of board did you learn on? Um, that one was, like, kind of a no-name, okay. like one of those boards from the mid-70s that just some guy in his backyard made that didn't even have a logo on it. None Fair enough. Um, what do you got behind you? That's quite the uh, that's artifact. A vintage, that's a vintage nectar. It's probably... Oh, let's see. It's 5.6. It's a vintage nectar trifin from the early 80s that Art Collier made. I don't know if you know Art Collier Shaper. He used to own the label Third World Exotic that Larry um, Mabel owns now. Okay. Art Collier Shaped for Nectar for a long time. And that's just an old board that I found in a um, garage sale for oh, 90, really? 90 bucks. Um, you kind of, do you feel like you got a deal on that or did you get ripped? Yeah. No, it's, it's a cool little board. It's probably too small for me, but you know, you it's ever, just, a, I've never ridden it. No, I've okay. never waxed it. I had it fixed. Um, so that is, you said you learned on, on an egg. That's the style of board that I learned to ride on. Oh, one of these. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it was mid nineties for me, but I wasn't riding boards from the mid nineties. I was riding boards like that, that my grandma or whoever would find at a garage sale. And so, yeah, short boards, thrusters, but with lots of volume, real stable for me being a skinny young teenager. Yeah. And I actually still love that style of board. Occasionally I'll get on one again and um, they're rippable. You yeah. Know? They're stable feels, and they're rippable. Yeah, feels like the first time. Flat deck on that thing too. Super flat deck. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, awesome. um, yeah. Get your get your surfers of the worst t-shirts at staycovered.com. The holidays are coming. Buy somebody a t-shirt. Get yourself one. I need to get you one, David. And um, pick up a couple leashes. I'm sure you have some people on your list. Get get them uh, get them some leashes or whatever. Staycovered.com. That's where you can get the surfers are the worst t-shirts. My, um, oh, I have a musty moment too. 
Okay, what's yours? No, I'm sorry. I have a Duke Konamoku. I have a Duke as well. You go. Okay, Okay, my Duke is the president of the Maldives, who last week decreed that Than Burdehu Island has been granted protected area status. And this means that the two legendary waves of honkies and sultans will remain accessible to local surfers. In other words, it won't be just the wealthy that can go and ride these waves. And this has been like an eight-year struggle by people in the area to, um, to get this area protected. And just sort of surprisingly, the president, um, Ibrahim Mohammed Salih, decreed um, this, this um, protected area status. And this basically means there could still be some development on this island, but the waves itself, will be accessible to locals. And that's a big deal because a lot of the waves, as I mentioned, aren't accessible to locals. And if there is development on the island, it's gonna have to meet sort of a higher threshold of environmental standards. Got it, fascinating. I did not see that story. Um, My Duke is John John Florence. Tomorrow he is dropping a new film called Tokyo Rising and it's on Amazon Prime. Sweet. I know, so this is fascinating to me. Uh, what I like about John John is that just when you think that he's sleeping on the job, you know, like he's not been in our limelight or he hasn't been in the limelight. He's not vying for our attention on Instagram every other day. So you think that he's been sleeping on the job and then he comes out with something that not only is going to, you know, command everybody's attention, but he does it like doing it on Amazon prime. Yeah. He's getting paid for it. That is a legit platform. It's sponsored by Cliff Bar. So it's not, I like that John knows his value and that he gets paid for his value and he distributes things in such a way that command all of our attention. He doesn't follow, like honestly, if you just had a team of managers, they would all be telling you to do what everybody else is doing. John John's like, nope, here's what I'm doing. And and I, I would presume it's going to be amazing. Everything that he puts out from view from a blue moon to space, they're always amazing. So I'm really looking forward to there's something that we're surprised about, right? That's what you mean. Like there's always, we know we're going to see great surfing footage, but there's going to be something that we learn either about what he's interested in or why he's interested in things. Like there, I'm hoping that there's that moment where you're like, oh, who knew that John sands his own fins or something yeah. or like whatever it is well he um it's called tokyo rising because it's about the lead up to the olympics mm. and john was injured last year and those olympic spots were going to go to um surfers on tour who ranked the highest and so kelly slater was vying for that last spot because john was in position for it prior to getting injured and throughout the year he kept getting bumped down the list yeah. and Kelly needed to make it through a couple of heats at pipe to get the, get the spot. So I think it documents some of that. Um, but now, you know, with the Olympics being postponed due to COVID, who knows how they'll reshuffle the system. And maybe this film goes into that. Some, will, I don't know. Will the Olympics happen this year, 2021? No, I don't think so. Okay. Do you? I mean, there's, there's some pretty good news from Pfizer. I know it's kind of pre- preliminary news, but um, about the vaccine. Yeah, but it's way too early to to tell. But it certainly seems like it's it's nice that there's some good news about this yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, at any rate, Tokyo Rising. Find it Thursday on Amazon Prime. Okay. 
Fair enough. Um, I guess that's all we got, right? Until next time. Adios and aloha. I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand Walking through the streets of Soho in the rain He was looking for the place called Lee Ho Fooks Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein kitchen door You better not let him in Little old lady got mutilated late last night Werewolves of London again Gent who ran a muck in Kent. Lately he's been overheard in Mayfair. You better stay away from him. He'll rip your lungs out, Jim. I'd like to meet his tailor. Trader Vicks. His hair was perfect. <laughs>